Welcome to Game Night with the Saints. We're your hosts, Jess and Brad St. Pierre. We're a husband and wife who have a passion for board games, and this podcast is dedicated to sharing that passion. So this is our first ever podcast, and before we jump into telling you what the format of our podcast is, Brad and I wanted to talk a little bit about why we're switching to a port... Uh, a podcast format over a written format. Right. So uh, managing the written content was getting to be a bit much for us, I think. We were having a lot of problems curating and editing the content. We're hoping a more stream of consciousness live uh, format will work a little bit better for us because in addition to everything else we have going on with our real lives, we're also raising a toddler, which takes inordinately more time than you think it would and it helps us avoid having to write out all the rules and the play overview which i feel is much more fun to sit down and talk about than it is to write about right right so let's just give you an overview of what our podcast format's going to look like so everybody knows what to expect so each week we're gonna brad and i are each going to share a board game memory and then we're going to go into, what did you call it, honey? Uh, notable news and crowdfunding corner, because I like alliteration. <laughs> and then after that, we'll go into whatever either our review or the topic is for the week. That'll be the most of the meat for our podcast. Right. So with that said, let's go ahead and, and jump in. Brad, what was your memory for this episode? Oh, okay. Um, so we recently uh, got to have our neighbors over for a, a little get-together, um, and we introduced them to Sushi Go Party. Now, none of them are what you would describe as board gamers, but we were a group of, I want to say, seven. And uh, the mom and the youngest child, who was six, were on a team together. They decided to play as a team. And... Uh, for reference, there's a card in Sushi Go Party called Miso Soup. And the way that that card works is it's worth three points, which is fairly significant. But you get zero points if anybody else drafts Miso Soup in the same round. Um, so the, the key there is to be the only one to take it in that round. And the daughter just looks at her mom and goes, do you trust me? And the mom's like, I don't know. We don't do things like this. And she's like, you need to trust me. Okay. So they play miso soup. And it's the only one for that round. And, you know, they're high-fiving each other. It's like, yeah, great. Uh, and then the daughter in the next round goes, you should trust me again. <laughs> and the mom's like, well, it worked out. So I think I will. And uh, they play miso soup again, and they get to run away with the miso soup. And then in the third round, she goes, it's all about trust. It's all about trust. And they play miso soup again, and three other people at the table also played miso soup. And it's just like, that is just peak board games right there. <laughs> it's like what board games are about. You can have a moment like that with uh, between a mother and daughter that you wouldn't normally be able to have and I think that's great absolutely so what about your memory Jess what did you pick for this week 
So mine's a little bit going to show my competitive side. Oh boy. I um, am going to talk about Watergate by Capstone Games, which we got for, was it your birthday, Brad? Uh, it was either my birthday or Father's Day. They're pretty close together. Yeah, earlier earlier this year. And I am currently in our three games at Watergate undefeated. It's true. So I have been the editor twice, and I have been the Nixon administration once. And beating Brad this many times in a row in a single game usually never happens. So for me, it's a personal feel-good, although... <laughs> Probably not for my husband, but it's a really fun game. I'm hoping we get a chance to maybe review it in the future. But um, I apparently make a really good editor and a very good bad politician. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right. So, uh, what's up for your news or your Kickstarter? Okay. So, uh, today I want to talk about Earthborn Rangers, uh, which is currently on Kickstarter being uh, published or proposed to be published by Earthborn Games, um, which there's a lot of things interesting about this one. For one, uh, Earthborn Games was founded by Andrew Navarro, who was the head of studio for Fantasy Flight from 2016 to 2019. So it's kind of like it's already got a pedigree despite being a new gaming studio. Uh, So that's exciting. And... uh, it looks like it's a co-op, card-based uh, campaign game, kind of in a reverse post-apocalypse. Um, humanity has figured out um, how to stop climate change, how to start stop damaging our planet, and you play as rangers who are dedicated to continuing that mission. Uh, and I just think that's really cool. It's a real interesting take from all of the zombie apocalypse and you know nuclear apocalypse and all that stuff that you typically see in board games and uh the second thing that's really interesting about it is they're committing to fully sustainable production which would mean um you know not being produced in china which is an interesting uh prospect for board games because obviously that's going to drive cost right so the question kind of is, is, is the market kind of prepared to bear that, right? And this is something really that you could only really do on Kickstarter with like a direct-to-consumer kind of model, right? Because, uh, because uh, you know, you can never mass-produce this, right? So I'll be interested to see how it plays out from both the print runs, you know, the manufacturing locations and... Uh, I'll be following it very closely to kind of understand that process a little bit more and see maybe this is the future of board game creation, right? Especially in the uh, post-pandemic world that we're living in. I mean, the pandemic's still going on, but, uh, you know, with all the issues we've had from uh, China and stuff from manufacturing and shipping in the last couple of years, maybe this is the future. We'll have to see. Um, And that's Earthborn Rangers. It's already funded. Uh, so some of the risk is already removed and it, uh, it's campaign ends on August 17th. What about you, Jess? What did you pick today? So I picked, and it actually plays off well off your board game memory. I picked, uh, feuding foodies. It's by a group of friends. Uh, currently they have themselves listed, um, as a publisher called 
feuding foodies game. And it's probably because they're a first time uh, game designer and developer that they had. It's not by the traditional studio you might hear or publisher you would see on Kickstarter. But it looks really cute and fun to me. It's a game where your teams of, uh, of chefs are using ingredients to make recipes. And how the catch is, right, sounds pretty straightforward, is each of the ingredients has a special ability that essentially can wreck the competing teams of chefs. <laughs> and um, what I really like about it is the theme. I love to cook and bake. In fact, just yesterday, the neighbors that Brad was talking about that we played with, I baked cookies and took over to them. And what I, when I think about gaming now, I think about games we can play with Jaina, games that are appropriate to play with our parents, games that, you know, are appropriate to play with our next door neighbors. Like you talked about, their youngest is, is six years old. Just for everyone listening, Jaina is our two-year-old daughter. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, So uh, we had before, we had Sushi Go Party in our collection, but we had put it out to board game Twitter. Uh, What other games could we play with, you know, seven, seven people with an age range of six years old to adult? And a lot of games came back, but most of them weren't really, I felt, themed appropriate for a six-year-old so that's one of the things I really like about feuding foodies the cards are really cute the ingredient designs I mean the salt looks salty on the card and then like the abilities just have fun like playoff theme the strawberries ability is called jam and it allows you to prevent a competitor from locking in a recipe so essentially you're jamming up a competing a competing team uh if i had to have any concerns about the kickstarter it's because it's a first-time publisher that's always the concern i feel though pretty good uh recommending this one though they already have um their manufacturer lined up with a completed sample run they have their fulfillment center because what brad was talking about we all know that we've all seen it if we backed kickstarters or even pre-orders that everything's taking longer so knowing who your fulfillment center is is a big thing right now um and then you know for brad and i with our toddler and with the pandemic that's ongoing is for this one for us is we're usually a two-player count like the get-togethers are fewer and far between than they were before and this game only plays it doesn't have a two-player mode it only plays at four six and eight um but you know like brad said there's really a place in the market and on the table for games that you can have a lot of fun in a family setting and i really feel that feuding foodies is one of those games so i'm hoping maybe if they do a future they add some kind of expansion yeah, it's a interesting concept for sure. I don't know that I really go in for games with a lot of take that very often, but I think having the team dynamic kind of softens that a little bit and makes it a little more palatable to, you know, use a food pun. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think there's definitely something there for families, right? Um, because you can be in it together with somebody and also, you know, like stick it to your parents or whatever the case may be, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So um, 
If you're, it, it's fully funded already on Kickstarter, but if you're interested, go check it out. It's still going to be there till Friday, um, August 27th at 11.26 Eastern time. And I think it's definitely one to consider adding to the collection. And that's on uh, Kickstarter as well? Mm-hmm. Yep, it's on Kickstarter. Great. Okay, so let's jump into our topic for this week, which is... All right, so today, uh, this week, we're talking about Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle-earth, the Shadowed Pass expansion. Um, now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the uh, base game, Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle-earth, it is a cooperative, uh, app-integrated dungeon crawler set in Middle-earth, uh, J.R.L. Tolkien's Middle-earth. Uh, you know, and in it, you're going to cooperatively work together, you know, through a series of adventures, which kind of form a campaign, so a larger overarching story. Um, Timeline-wise, it kind of feels like between the Battle of Five Armies, or after the Battle of Five Armies, but before the War of the Ring. Um, and the central gameplay loop for Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth is a skill test system using cards. Um, you reveal a number of cards equal to your character's stat, and then the number of success icons that you get on those cards is your result for that test. Uh, and it also features a really robust character progression system where your character earns XP to a specific role and keeps uh, those skill cards that you acquire for that role, even if you switch to another one later, which the system also allows you to do. Um, and this really lets you customize your character in a way that you don't really see in a lot of other dungeon crawlers, and it's probably my favorite thing about the system. Um, my favorite thing is the theme. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Um, we did a written review of the base game, and that's on our website if you want to go check that out. Uh, but needless to say, we thought it was great and picked up the expansion. Um, and Shadowed Path is, it Paths is the first big box expansion for Journeys in Middle-Earth. Uh, it adds a new campaign, a bunch of map tiles, uh, five new heroes, uh, five new roles, uh, six new enemy types, a couple other uh, interesting systems. And uh, we're going to talk about it today. Yeah. So, like Brad said, you can read our review of the base uh game and campaign and our website but one of the things that was definitely different for us this time was we each played with two characters instead of one right so four total right and i picked arwen and aragorn because as everyone gets to know me i really love a good ship and they're one of my literary <laughs> favorites so when i realized they were an option that's who i went with right and i picked uh eleanor and this, uh, Eleanor, is a Fantasy Flight uh, original Lord of the Rings character. Uh, and this is a pseudo original character. She has a mention in the lore, but not as a fleshed out character. And Fantasy Flight decided to go ahead and flesh her out uh, and make her into a full-blown character for the game. And, I mean, let's talk about that for a little bit, because there's this inter interesting dynamic, right, where you have characters that are well-known and beloved available to you like the two I picked and then you have ones that are adjacent like Dis, and then you have ones that no one knows anything about and I think one of the things and Brad and I talk about this often as much as we love playing with like you know Bilbo or you know Gimli what f there's there can be some 
things that are jarring if you're really into it from like a Lord of the Rings yeah. lore standpoint. Yeah, like a thematic disconnect. And, you know, with ne- I'll, we're going to try to not give too many spoilers or anything in the, in the review. But I think it's pretty straightforward. You know that you're going to be going, you know, to Moria in this campaign and right. potentially going to Moria in this campaign. And like I said to Brad, like, I'd be pretty mad if I was like Gandalf and Aragorn had happened to be in, you know, Moria and run into the Belrog and <laughs> not brought that up before we ran in in the Fellowship of the Ring. So right. you run into those situations. Um, but right. I think there's a, a beauty to the characters like Dis, right? Where like when we were playing and she would be like surrounded by like monsters and she'd just take them out. And as a, as a mom, I can just imagine like the just absolute, I'll run in and have so much rage because there's just a deep grief in my heart. And that for me gives this game such thick, like thematic feel. Right. So for those that don't know, this is uh Philly and Killy's mother. Uh, and like we said, she's mentioned in the lore, but hardly at all hardly a fleshed out character at all she actually has a very minor role in the lord of the rings mmorpg as well um and she's mentioned in in one book in passing and what fantasy flight has done here which i think is a real step up from just having you know like Barivor in the base game it's like nobody cares about Barivor. she doesn't mean anything to anybody right and where i think this is a real step up there is they've connected her to characters that people do care about, right? Like if you've seen the Hobbit movies or read the Hobbit book or, you know, whatever, uh, you know who Philly and Killy are. So when you read that on the back of Dis's card, right, and you read her story, it's like, oh, this is what drives this character. And then you can see it in her cards that she's got a bunch of rage-focused cards and she's got like, you know, strength of Thrain, right? Because she's from that bloodline and stuff like that. And I think that's the way they should go when they make these unique characters, right, and try to flesh out the world. You know, they don't have the same name brand appeal, but they're still tied in. And I like that a lot more than, you know, the no names in the in the base set that, you know, they didn't really do too much with from a uh, thematic standpoint. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a step up with Shadowed Pass. So, um, let's talk a little bit about how you and I play this game a little bit differently with our characters so i always choose to keep my characters the same is it it's a job role same role excuse me the same role um because i like to try to really dig into getting xp and maximizing the abilities of one role but brad he switches it up so you want to talk about that a little bit yeah so for those not familiar with the system the roles are basically your you know character adventuring jobs or classes or whatever from other games they're just called roles in this game uh and like we were talking about in the intro you can switch in between adventures and you keep the cards that you've purchased from uh previous roles that you were right so as jess was saying uh i think you played as the herbalist and the captain this time and she was just herbalist and captain all the way through for her two characters but for me uh using eleanor as an example i went you know traveler to um guardian and then i went to hunter right so i had three different roles 
uh, of skill cards in my deck. And for me, it's all about building that synergy. But I think what's important, um, and this was a strength of the base game as well, this was, isn't exclusive to Shadowed Pass, although Shadowed Pass adds more options for people like me. Um, but I think what's important here is both of those paths are viable. I felt like we both had fleshed out characters and we were both very powerful at the end of the campaign, which is how it should be, right? Yeah, and it's funny for me, especially with Arwen, is she's an herbalist, right? So when you think about that, if you don't think about it in any tie to the character, you don't think warrior, but she ended up being one of our best fighters because she had a ranged attack and then when she was up close she was like dual wielding two weapons so you know I took her initially so we had like a support healer but there was a lot of times it's like oh there's a fight well let's just send our one yeah she ended up being one of the better fighters I think only Eleanor um, who had that mix of three different classes was able to really deal out more hits on a consistent basis and uh, Eleanor had problems with uh, producing status effects because all she was good for was producing, you know, like 20 hits or something in a combat, but she couldn't get through armor or sorcery or anything like that. And Arwen excelled at pretty much all those things, despite also being the main support, if you will. Yeah. So let's, there's, there was a few things different with this campaign over the, the base. And it was kind of like, if you remember the the books or if you've played there's a board game of it now that kind of choose your own adventure with this campaign where there were some different paths you could take yeah yeah that's actually one of my criticisms of the uh, shadowed pass expansion i feel like fantasy flight really tried to market it as like this branching narrative where like your choices matter and you know all that stuff and maybe some of these choices will cut off other options and it's just flatly untrue. Um, what ends up happening in Shadowed Pass is you play through one of the storylines and then it goes, okay, now which one do you want to do next? And then you play through the next one. And then it's like, okay, now you got to do the third one. Uh, so there is no branching. Your your choices are largely immaterial. Um, you do get a couple of bennies for like completing a specific branch or whatever that impact very minorly uh, future storylines but it's it's nothing so much as like oh i made choice a and now you know c and d are closed off to me forever or anything like that um so yeah you loop back on the three storylines and then everybody plays the same finale so little false advertising there fantasy flight but i still liked it so there's that (laughs) yeah i mean i i agree that perhaps we because we kept expecting um, we didn't pick the Moria path first right? because we were curious if it would be closed off to us and we would have to play it like another completely separate campaign to go to it. But to Brad's point, we ended up looping back on it. And one of the things like I was really leery for, there's a new addition to the expansion called Corruption. Right. And we weren't really sure. So I think it was Dis and Arwen got one early yeah and for the longest time it did nothing (laughs) yeah the the corruption system was a bit of a mixed bag too uh and it was kind of one of the central like hooks for the expansion it's like oh your heroes become corrupt and they become more evil over time and it's like well i have this token on me big deal right um and 
the entirety of the corruption system is almost completely inconsequential for two out of three of the of the story paths right and then i think in the one of them mm-hmm. it is very consequential and really fun right we had a lot of fun with that without you know getting spoilers and then in the fat uh the finale it was also very consequential but in an incredibly unfun way <laughs> right so <laughs> um yeah, it's a difficulty with talking about campaign games because you really don't want to give spoilers to the audience um, while giving a review of the product. But but Brad's right. I was a little disappointed in the in the corruption mechanic overall. I would have liked to have seen it do more throughout the entire campaign than what it did. But right. and to Brad's point, and you'll know it if you play. In the one where it matters, it's it's really fun. <laughs> Right, yeah, that that was really fun, um, and I wonder if we feel would feel differently about the system overall if that wasn't the third story path that we did, if it was maybe the first. But we won't know because we've got two other campaigns to play for this game, and also another expansion on the way that we'll talk about later. So, I I want to touch on something I think they did well with Shadow Pass. Uh, so. A lot of times from the Fantasy Flight library, Shadow Pass gets compared to Descent 2nd Edition, right? It's a campaign sure. game. I, I did that in our, <laughs> our written review right. uh, for the base game. And I feel when you're doing the map for Descent, super easy to put together, right? You find You find the pieces, you put them together. In the base game, it was a journeys of middles earth it was a struggle to kind of look at the app and figure out how the pieces fit together and i feel for shadow pass they did a thing where they highlight in the app much more clear where the tiles get placed and i feel that made it less time consuming yeah and uh i think that was actually just an app update because i checked the bones of arnor campaign which is the base campaign and it does it for that now as well so i think that was just an app update but kudos to fantasy flight for uh continuing to support their app integrated products and iterate on those even you know while they're still an existing product yeah and i mean for me brad and i still have the same problem we have from the base game when we're doing a battle map there's two kinds of maps there's like the adventure map which is like the tiles you lay out and it it forms a world and i will forewarn you if you're going to play shadow paths they had some huge adventure maps so make sure you have a lot of table space cleared for it but brad and i have this weird issue on the battle maps where we do not look at it the same way (laughs) So yeah, that. that's that's an us problem and not really a <laughs> journeys in Middle Earth problem. I'm, I think I'm no, I'm going to make it my my biggest complaint <laughs> about the expansion. <laughs> but I will say, I felt in the base game, the battle maps were kind of eh, like you know there wasn't a lot they did, but they there is one major um, chapter in Shadow Pass that uses battle maps in a very, very cool way where it's almost like, I, I don't know even the word, like a conveyor where you're, you keep looping them back and forth. Like, yeah. and yeah. it's a really cool gaming experience. Yeah. Well, and it gives you the illusion of movement across, you know, a big area with only two tiles. And I thought that was really clever as well. A uh, couple other things they added in the expansion. 
Um, they have elevation now for the battle maps, which we didn't think was hardly relevant at all. Um, partially that's because Arwen was our only ranged attacker. Uh, and what elevation does, it's, it basically prevents you from attacking at range if uh, you're in an adjacent space, but you're on lower elevation. Not particularly relevant. Um, but what was relevant that is also new for this expansion was difficult terrain. Uh, that was most commonly seen on the journey map. And um, what that does is when you pass through difficult terrain, you have to either discard one of your prepared skills to continue moving or your movement ends. And that actually led to some of their interesting choices while traversing some of the journey maps. And I thought that was a good addition. Wow. And I think to some extent, and with no knowledge, right, of when we were going to be playing through this campaign, what to expect with the new elements of the terrain and the campaign story itself, was Aragon's innate ability really helped with some of that because he could allow someone to scout two at the start of his turn. So if you had to discard a prepared skill because you needed to go into terrain, if you were close to him, you would get a prepared skill back. So I feel that really actually added strength to our party. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then obviously Shadowed Pass also adds a bunch of new enemy types. I think one of the common criticisms of the base game is they use the same like four enemy groups over and over. Uh, so getting more variety there was definitely to the good of the game overall. Um, and I think um, this campaign felt more like a Lord of the Rings game. Yeah, I feel, to be honest, the the base campaign, if they had, you know, slapped the Descent characters on it, it would have... You wouldn't have known you were in Middle Earth, but Shadow Pass, Brad's right. You 100% really feel like you're on an adventure. You're part of a fellowship, and you're, you know, going on this journey. And I think that makes me really happy that we didn't pick just one character each because the theme would not have felt as rich to me if it was like, oh, these two people, they're going to take all of this on. It's like no <laughs> right yeah and i mean I, I think they do a lot better job of making you you know a key player in uh the shadowed pass expansion but not the only player right there are other events happening that you're just not a part of because it's so much bigger than you right and that kind of lets it feel more like a living breathing world and one of the things and and Brad and I are both video gamers too. And one of the things that I always appreciate, um, you know, is rich side quest. And there's some cute side things they put yeah. into this campaign. There, yeah, there really is in this one. And I don't really want to spoil it for anyone, but, you know, um, I'll use uh, Final Fantasy Online as an example. Their side quests have some really rich content and there's connections among them. And it gives you a good feeling as a player and... Uh, Fantasy Flight brought that to Shadow Pass with some connecting themes across the chapters of interactions you have. So that was a very pleasant surprise to this campaign. Yeah, and I mean, you know, they, 
they, I just feel like they put a lot more effort in to making it feel like a Lord of the Rings game. They, you know, they heard the criticism from the base game where that could have just been, you know, Terranoth 2.0 or whatever. Um, and I think they really responded to it because you've got, you know, no spoilers. Well, some spoilers, but minor spoilers. Um, you've got some big name lore characters that you're interacting with in this one, right? And that's cool, but they also do really interesting things like when we found that uh, crate of orc helmets with the white hand of Sauron already on them, uh, not Sauron, Sauron already on them, right? And that's a nice Easter egg for Lord of the Rings nerds like us. It wouldn't mean much to somebody who's not invested, but for us, it was like, oh, that's cool, right? That means like Sauron's already gearing up for war. That's the time period we're in. It's just a nice little nod for people that are invested. It is, and um, you know, you meet a, a very known big bad, and I mentioned it earlier, the Belrog. And it's, yeah, that's not a spoiler. He's on the box. He's cover. on the box. Okay, good. I don't have to feel <laughs> bad about that one. So, and you know, the way they handle it. To our earlier point, you get this nice feeling as a lover of all things Middle Earth of interacting with this character while not interfering or breaking the canon of fellowship of the ring so that was that was nice because i said i had said to brad i'm like wait a minute are we gonna kill this guy because you know right right so i want to talk a little bit without spoilers about for me what was kind of the feel bad of of this overall all joking aside about our weird map issue (laughs) Um, and it wasn't that we lost, we lost this campaign. We didn't right. technically cause, and, and some people may not realize this, even who've maybe played, you can fail forward through the, the story. Like you can fail a chapter and fail forward. Well, and unfortunately for us, we actually did not fail a single adventure <laughs> in this campaign until the finale. And then we failed the finale. Um, yes. Dis and her grief and rage. <laughs> charged and unhealed (laughs) um but the the real issue was and i i don't know what maybe to compare it to except that it was like a rumpus room of baddies and it was just there was no the end for me just felt like pile on pile on pile on yeah lots of filler enemies yeah and it didn't really give that like final fight look that I was I was looking for in the final chapter and for me that was the letdown and I know we'll probably definitely play this campaign again because there's uh, there's that's the beautiful thing about these journeys in Middle Earth game is why I recommend them to everyone I know who loves the Lord of the Rings world is you can't do everything and successfully complete a chapter um, the threat catches up to you like you'll not survive so there's always things to go back and do so I know we'll replay this and I'm interested to see if maybe we make some different choices if that ending looks different and I think Brad you had mentioned you weren't sure if this was a consequence of having four players for the final chapter yeah it may have been because the um again minor spoilers but the bones of Arnor campaign from the base game did not have a finale like this where it was just wave after wave of essentially you know fodder enemies um but we also only played that with a 
two character adventure party. So I don't know if this was a consequence of playing with four adventurers total, um, or if it's just, that's how this campaign was structured, right? That's how this finale was supposed to play out. Yeah. So, I mean, and no spoilers, but there were so many enemies that literally my two characters couldn't move. They were like trying to hold a line. So Brad's characters could move to complete the objective. So that's why for me, the final chapter just didn't feel good. I was standing in, one place and it's like one of those animes where you see the guy standing on like a pile of bodies is what it felt like right, right. uh any final thoughts any final ads yeah i mean overall i still think it's a stronger campaign than the base game um just for me i think anyway um i definitely enjoyed this one more i felt there was more to it it was a little longer which i appreciated um and it yeah, it just felt more like a Lord of the Rings adventure. Um, but I want to touch on, on the new roles a little bit because those were kind of the highlight of the expansion for me. Um, so as we said earlier, you get five new roles, which means, you know, way more combinations with the five from the base game. Um, but some of them are really cool. Like the Smith, um, probably my favorite from the new expansion. Um, it's thematically on point because you can assist, assist allies all the way across the map with the smith, um, which is not common. Most of the time you need to be nearby allies in order to assist them or use cards on them. Uh, but the smith, the idea is that you've already equipped your adventuring party like before you started, right? So your cards can work on the entire map. And I just thought that was really cool, like a uh, little bit of thematic resonance there for that, right? Um, and then the delver too was really cool. Um, distinct from the burglar in the first game although both of them are like you know skulky high e type characters but the delver actually incentivizes you to go into dark places right and that changed my gameplay fundamentally from having those delver skills the traveler kind of felt a little bit samey to the pathfinder and i'm kind of a little bit worried for future longevity of the system right because like how many iterations of the mobility role can you have right already we're seeing some overlap where a lot of the travelers cards did very similar things to what the pathfinder from the base game does and then in uh the next expansion they're going to have a guide role which looks a lot like the captain right so it'll be interesting to see how robust the system can actually be and how much it can actually iterate on itself well, one of the things, and along with the rules that I would like to see them, because you and I ran into this with Eleanor and Aragorn, is that we shared all the same, like, weapons cards. And oh, yeah. So yeah. I would definitely like to see, maybe in this new expansion coming out, for the roles that share weapons and share, you know, items, that they have more, so you're not necessarily having to be like well you get this and I don't even though I really want this although you and I are really good about doing that but like I I feel there should be some more distinction there perhaps or perhaps some warning on the app if you take this like you're going to have fewer to pick from yeah well I think it was in I don't even think it's based on the roles I think it's the different races maybe get like similar items right because I played as this this time and I played as Gimli last time, and they both get ringmail as an example, right? And mm -hmm. I think it's because they're dwarves. Um, and then 
Eleanor and Aragorn both use swords, right? So we're constantly fighting from the for the sword upgrades. And I'm sure they'll add more in the next expansion. But um, yeah, so overall, I think we can definitely recommend uh, Journeys in Middle Earth Shadowed Pass expansion. I think I personally would go so far as to say if you did not really jive with the base game and the reason for that was because you didn't feel like you were in middle earth this might be the one for you yeah and even though we lost we enjoyed it enough that we pre-ordered yes the next expansion where i have already pre-picked my character and called dibs on bjorn so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh timely for our first podcast on this topic fantasy flight games just announced that they're going to release another big box expansion uh called spreading war and i think that's coming out um in fall of this year so all right well i think that's going to do it for us you've been listening to game night with the saints with us your hosts jess and brad st pierre If you like what you just heard, please consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps. You can also follow us on Instagram at Saint Gamers or Twitter at Saint underscore Gamers to let us know what you think and be notified when the next episode goes live. We also have a Ko-Fi account linked at the bottom of the show notes if you feel like tossing us a couple of bucks to help offset the costs of running the podcast and website. We'll be back again in two weeks with another episode. Until then, remember, it's just a game.